0: morning we could talk about what is a happy person. And I actually have a list of ten ingredients. This is to give you a sense of thorough preparation. You'll want to jot the first one down for sure. A happy person is someone who doesn't become unhappy. They do not call the uh, dispensable church the intellectual elite for nothing. (laughs) (coughs) The Philosopher's Club is what we're known uh, (laughs) as. I'm writing a book, as I've told you, uh, entitled How to Live in the World and Still Be Happy. And I thought that I should start the book off with a definition, a quoted definition. And it appeared to me that uh, if I were to quote the Oxford English Dictionary that this would well if it has Oxford in the title, you would lend a certain tone of erudition. And so I had to get out of my awesomely upholstered recliner. (laughs) <laughs> go into the baby's room and lift up the baby's waterbed <laughs> complete with sheepskin hammock and electrically, re- electrically uh, reproduced womb sounds. <clears throat> I kid you not, this is true. <laughs> and pull from it volume one of the opera. <laughs> because that's what was propping it up. Isn't it? <laughs> We've got the teeny, 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 teeny print edition, those of you who know. Uh, So then I had to find my bifocals. um, And I was rewarded with uh, these words. Happiness, the state or condition of being happy. (laughs) So it's along those lines that we will speak. (laughs) It is true, though, that it is possible to learn how not to be ha- unhappy, and by simply learning that, we are automatically happy because happiness, it's sort of like the uh, the core of a volcano. I don't know where these analogies spring from, but I <laughs> i suddenly saw the, the core of a volcano, uh, and that doesn't seem to be the... Good analogy, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, let's see, uh, white, it's white hot, as in white light. But uh, if inside of you, you can picture a calm center, we won't call it a volcano at all. Uh, Well, we'll call it a carnucopia of uh, peace or something that's been jammed into the center of the earth. Who knows what's in the center of the earth anyway? But you do know that within you, there is a certain calmness. And you have felt this at times. We've all felt this. We felt this in an emergency, especially when things are taken completely out of our hands and we think that we're going to die. The car is going off the side of the road and this is it and everything's out of our hands and there's nothing we can do about it. Possibly you can remember an instant like that. And the sudden peace that you felt. You did nothing for a second or two. And what was yours? The peace of God. Whatever you wanted to call that. So we have a deeper self. A deep, deep, deep self. And this, as we have mentioned before, is of course the basis of all therapies that as you go deeper you get better as you become more honest you reach something that is more stable more sane as a matter of fact you reach God you reach the infinite but in the beginning it's simply more pleasant to let peace settle around you to adopt a calmer stance to regain your perspective. And there is this sinking into peace. Let's do that together now for just a moment because we think that we have to fight so hard. We have to battle. And we don't have to battle. And we don't have to fight. And there really is nothing to do except do nothing. And so let's close our eyes for just a moment, and do nothing. For just a moment, you don't have to be somebody. There's no place to go. There's nothing to do. And so leave the madness of this past week, and perhaps even this morning, behind and sink into your deeper self you know nothing of it except its pure peace you know not its dimensions you have no expectations but one thing you still know how to do is to sink into the very core of your being you know how to settle down you know how to rest in the arms of God. And so exercise that ability now. Leave all the madness up there, up above, and sink below it, deeper and deeper and deeper into peace. Okay. How simple that was. It restored a little bit your mind, didn't it? How simple that was. And how many times can we do that a day? How long did that take? Was it 10 seconds, 15, 20? How many times can we do that a day? And what would the effect be if we did it over and over and over again? I can tell you from experience there is a cumulative effect. It is harder to rise back to the madness once you have touched the peace. Yes, you will rise back to it to some degree, but possibly not as far this time. And then you sink again. sink deep into light, deep into joy. You tell yourself nothing about it. You have no definition as to how you're to feel or what's to happen as a result. what result do you need within God's peace? And this has been one of the themes of the three years that the dispensable church will have had its ministry. And that is That you don't have to do anything with your spiritual principles, with your spiritual truths, that it will make you unhappy to try to take your spiritual truths and see how effective they are. This is a very sad thing to do. Do you see now how it pollutes the whole thing to try to do that, to take the spiritual principle and then try to get what your ego wants within the world, to try to make the world work. Let's just think about the world for a moment. So you want to get the world to work. I didn't know if I got a tap on the back of my foot. I didn't know if that meant I was not to launch into this or not. It turns out that... turns out that Gail was just changing her position. Also. We're safe. So! Oh, yes. So very shortly... There will be no more smells, no more spills, no more stains. People won't be late ever again. Never any more rudeness in stores. Never anything overpriced. Nothing will ever wear out. The telephone monopoly, which has been broken up, will be (laughs) re-monopolized. We will have good telephone service again. (laughs) There will never be uh, poor workmanship again, there will never be traffic snarls, pollution will be eliminated. Of course we don't believe that, of course we don't believe that. Never a spill, never a stain, never anything wearing out, everyone agreeing that everything is priced correctly, no more crime in the big cities, never again an earthquake. Everyone understanding everyone else, everyone's vocabulary meaning the same thing, everyone joined, you see how useless a battle this would be? And yet, if this were all there were, if there was nothing but the neighbor's dog and the leaky roof and the appliances that don't work just after you buy them. And then you fix the roof and it leaks in the same place. And you go to get something out of your closet like I did this morning and a button falls off. Ah, and you think your spiritual truth is not effective. You see how crazy this is, how unhappy it is? Somehow this is not supposed to happen. Will all the additives be taken out of all the foods? (laughs) And so forth. What a useless battle. What an endless battle. And we've only touched on the little things. They're the big things. And they change, don't they? And so now we have the catastrophe of the month. And this is not funny because people are genuinely scared. They're genuinely scared now. And so they look around and try to figure out why they're so scared. And they come up with, oh, there's going to be a geological something or another. Continents are going to fall into the ocean. Or they say, oh, no, the world financial system is going to collapse totally. It'll all collapse. No, it'll be the free world. The free world will collapse. And what was it before that? And what was it before that? And what will be after? What will be next month? The next month? The next month? And will there be any end to the fears? And of course there's evidence for all of it. Is this where we want our work to be? To try to put out every brush fire? No. What we want to do is to help in the way that we personally can help. And each of you know how you can help. Do you have a family? Do you have a friend? Do you have someone you can bless in your mind? Is there an old grievance? Can you release that person now? Is there something you can do with your money or your time or your talents? Then let us do it. Let us do it because... We want to spread our happiness, and we want to spread our peace. But what is the point of trying to change the nature of the world? You can't roller skate in a buffalo herd, but you can be happy if you have a mind to. And that is the great spiritual truth. (laughs) And so the first principle is, We learn how not to be happy. Excuse me. (laughs) You say you can't even speak. We learn how not. We learn how. What do we learn? (laughs) We learn to go to another church on Sunday. We learn how to not become unhappy. We learn to not get caught up in the things that start happening from the very moment we wake up in the morning. That's what we learn. To not get caught up in them. To not make them more important than our spiritual principle, which is we have a deeper self. There is a calm center in the storm. There is love and there is peace and we can have it. And nothing has to be changed in order for that to be true today. Nothing has to go right today. Because all we want is the peace of God. And the peace of God is there for the having. It is there deep within us. It is there in our spiritual practices. It can be found in our books of truth. It can be found in our songs that we sing. In our ditties, it can be found anywhere. It can be found while looking at a tree or watching clouds go by. It can be found even in listening to the noises of the street. Because the peace of God permeates it all. But it doesn't touch a thing. It leaves it totally undisturbed. And this is what's so perplexing to people because they feel the power and the peace and the joy of God and they see the world untouched by it, going on its merry way. Still, what? 49% of all the nations in armed combat for as long as people have been keeping statistics or whatever the statistic is. Still, what? A third of the world starving. And on and on and on. When has it ever been any different? And yet, at the same time, in your meditation, something intrudes into your consciousness. Not in some fancy, dramatic way that you want to go talking about. But a peace comes in. And you know, for an instant, that this is reality. This is where you're heading and that this can be anyone's, anyone's. It's available to them all. And then we turn our gaze back to the earth, and it is untouched. We get out from our meditation, and we trip. One of our cactuses started leaking. No one knows why it did this. Stain the floor. We patted it and talked to it and so forth. It's fine. I don't know why it did this. How do we interpret that? What if it had happened just after a meditation? How would we read that sign? A little puddle of milk on the floor. And we were worried about our little cactus. We needn't be. It's fine. So one encompasses the other. It surrounds it. It shimmers off of it. It glows through it. But it does not touch it. And there is no need for you to take it like some sledgehammer and try to make everything in your life perfect and make everyone behave and make every street have no pothole. And make every politician be honest. And so that's the first principle of happiness. Is that we don't worry. We don't get caught up in it. John got, uh, this is interesting. When you see other people's worries, we think our worries are serious business. But if you look at someone else's worries, you can see the insanity of the process. And it's so funny to see children worry. John suddenly wanted to know if if when he was 81, could he buy a horse? <clears throat> and I said, oh, yes, John. And he ran, he had a little playmate over, he ran over to his playmate and he said, when I'm 81, I can buy a horse. And his playmate was glad for him. (laughs) Then he ran back to me. He said, can I buy two horses? Yes, John. He ran back and told his playmate this and they were both just overjoyed. He ran back to daddy and I said, John, when you're 81, you can buy as many horses as you want. And he ran back to his playmate. (laughs) And then we even watch shows. I won't mention them. We even watch shows that, as John Hunter's point out, that in case you don't have anything to worry about, Here are six or seven things you've never thought of before. These are happening right under your nose and you can worry about these. (laughs) So it's not that we don't do anything. It's not that we don't help. You will help more because your life will be simpler. You will see the need more quickly. You will rush to help. In fact, you will help in more practical ways than you've ever helped before. You won't think it only has to be done mentally. You will go in and you will care for someone who's sick and you will prop them up and you'll wipe their forehead with a damp cloth and you will bring them little things to nibble on or soothing potions to drink. You will do this unhesitatingly. <clears throat> but you will not think that this is some sort of sign that you didn't meditate correctly because someone got sick. How can someone not get sick in a world of sickness? How can people not have accidents in a world of disaster? And yet this very world of disaster where everything goes wrong, where it's a Marx Brothers movie, it's Cheech and Chong every single day. (laughs) This whole world and your life in particular can be so gentle. Where is the... So this is the workbook that Gail read from in the beginning. Let me just read this again. Creation's gentleness is all I see. I have indeed misunderstood the world because I lay my sins on it and saw them looking back, back at me. How fierce they seemed. And how deceived was I to think that what I feared was in the world instead instead of in my mind alone. Today I see the world in the celestial gentleness with which creation shines. There is no fear in it. Let no appearance of my sins obscure the light of heaven shining on the world. What is reflected there is in God's mind. The images I see reflect my thoughts, yet it is my mind at one with God's. And so, I can perceive creation's gentleness. And then this little review lesson ends with his prayer. In quiet would I look upon the world, which but reflects your thoughts and mine as well. Let me remember that they are the same, and I will see creation's gentleness. And so what do we do when we see things that are other than that? See, I think in the '80s there is another review section. Is it the 180s? This is called uh, "Being Moved by the Spirit." Suddenly, the there was a pause. No, it was—it's just lack of organization. <laughs> Can you find a little? So you'll have to wait a minute for what do you do. Uh, and meanwhile, we'll go on to principle number two. <laughs> okay. A happy person has a disciplined mind. And that seems a lot harder, doesn't it? So the first one is simply that a happy person avoids being unhappy, avoids being caught up does not try to change everything, does not decide how things should go and then make everything appear the way they think it ought to appear. Because these judgments are so silly, aren't they? As to what we, how we think it ought to be in the first place. And how many times have we changed our opinion on how it ought to be. And what is good art and bad art? And what is good organization and bad organization? And how much money do we need? And how much money is it good for us to have? And how much money is it good for us to give our children? <coughs> and how many times have we changed our mind about all this? But we're so certain now that we know. Now that we know. And so we, we pray. And we turn to peace. And then we use this as some sort of sword to try to cut everything off at the same place and make everything appear the same way and that is the key to unhappiness. So we leave the world undisturbed and yet we help. We don't try to make a difference and yet we help. This is uh, called filling, feeling while the <laughs> All right, now, so what do you do? I'm just going to read you a few little things from, uh, these are the review lessons. So this is 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, whoops. We'll just go to 85. Um, and so in these little review sections, you know, they take two lessons in these early ones and uh, review it. And then there are little thoughts put at the bottom, little thoughts that you might want to use or possibly you'd like to use some thought along these lines. I'm not going to read you all the thoughts. I just want to read you the ones about, well, then what do you do? This thing happens. You get the stain or you are late or so-and-so did not do a good job. And do you call them and so forth and so forth? Well, of course you call them if you wish to. There are no rules about these things. And if someone did not do a good job, of course if you wish to call them and have them come out and correct the, the work that they did, That's fine. There are no rules about this. We do what we need to do in peace. We do what we need to do in order to maintain our peace. And if it would be more peaceful to have them come out and fix it, we do. If it would be more peaceful to forget the debt, as I did recently with someone. They owed me a great deal of money, and I had tried in a number of ways to get them to uh, pay some of the money. And I'd thought of all kinds of lenient little ways that they could do it. And nothing was in fact happening. There was always the assurance that it would be done, uh, and then it wasn't done. And so I sat down once again, and I said, now what do I want to do now? (coughs) And I saw that the most peaceful thing for me to do this time was to cancel the debt in my own mind. And I just said to the person, you owe me nothing, you owe me nothing, and this is forgotten. And that was the most peaceful thing to do, just as it was more peaceful in the beginning for me to have a meeting with them, sit down and say, I know that this is scheduled for you to pay this way, but possibly this isn't uh, good for you, what about this other way, would this be more convenient? And they said, oh yes, and it was all settled, and of course nothing happened. And so there are no rules on that level. We simply do what's most peaceful because we wish to be peaceful now. We wish to be gentle and kind now. We wish to have our mind free enough that we can turn to God now. And so what is there to do? What can you prescribe? What rule can you make about that? You must look in your heart and see what would make it easier, what would make it simpler for you today. It may not be the same thing that made it simpler for you yesterday but there are so many things we can't do anything about. Have you noticed that? There's simply nothing that we can do about it. And so what of that vast territory? Well, here are some thoughts. These are just ideas, you see. Things that you say to yourself. I'm just going to read them. Possibly you'd like to close your eyes and just hear these these will have a cumulative effect on you if you'll just listen to them and not try to understand them particularly or memorize them but just listen to them i'm taking these from several lessons and i'm just going to read them one after the other and you will begin to feel a certain truth form in your mind as you hear these a truthful a good response to these kinds of things that seem to assault us every minute of the day Let this help me learn what forgiveness means. I will not use this for an alien purpose. Through my forgiveness, I can see this as it is. Let me not use this to hide my function from me. I would use this as an opportunity to fulfill my function. This may threaten my ego, but it cannot change my function in any way. My perception of this does not change my function. This does not give me a function other than the one God gave me. Let me not use this to justify a function God did not give me. This cannot separate my happiness from my function. The oneness of my happiness and my function remains wholly unaffected by this. Nothing, including this, can justify the illusion of happiness apart from my function. Let me not see an illusion of myself in this. As I look on this, let me remember my Creator. This is no justification for denying myself. I will not use this to attack love. Let this not tempt me to attack myself. Let me not use this as a block to sight. Let this not tempt me to look away from me for my salvation. I will not let this interfere with my awareness of the source of my salvation. This has no power to remove salvation from me. And the last... I have no need for this. I want to see. In other words, nothing has to go right today. I want the peace of God, and that's all I want. All right. So let's go to number two. We're not going to go through all ten of these. <laughs> As you know, the service can end at any time. (laughs) Now, the second one was that a happy person has a disciplined mind. That is actually the same as the first. Because the first is a discipline. We have an old set of responses that we are making to everything that happens. We judge it. We think we know how it ought to be. And it hurts us because we make it real. We make it more important than our function. And what is our function? It is no more than to be gentle and kind and at peace and happy. It is no more than that. That is our function. That brings reality into our consciousness. That transforms us. Never say that you don't know what to do because your function is so simple. You cannot but know what to do. And what is there to do? Just to roll gently. Just to be still. Just to let your mind grow calm. Just to let your heart soften. Just to let your grip upon the grievance relax a little. What is there to do? It is so simple. To be like God is so simple. Because God is so simple that there is nothing but light and love in God. And so, do you see that this is a disciplining of the mind? Trading the confusing, complicated, multiple approach that we've always had, reacting to this and that, being jerked around by every circumstance, letting this moment set one purpose, the next incident set another purpose, this person pushed this button and this other person pushed this other button everything assaulting us we are some sort of xylophone upon which the weather plays one tune and how the building is heated plays another and then there's the new first interstate bank building, what does that do to you as you drive past it and need it do that need it do that and isn't all of life like this Bing bong bong bing bang as we go through life. Manny taught me that one. (laughs) Why am I not getting to number two? Let's, let's pray a here and see why I'm not getting to number two. Let's all close your eyes and see what we want to do now. Ah, thank you. We're going to skip number two, we're going to go to number three. <laughs> number two is for another day. Let's go to number three, and we'll end with number three. A happy person... Is not, you see, you don't have to follow the numbers. I was being bonged by number two. You've got to do number two. Two comes after one. This is the way you learn it. One, two, three. It's not one. A happy person is not critical. You think that's as hard as the number two, don't you? (laughs) Let's put it another way. All attack thoughts attack the criticizer. All criticism attacks the criticizer. Now, this is what will eventually eliminate all criticism from your thought. The day will come, and it is not as far along as you think, in which you will simply not criticize anyone or anything again because it will hurt you so much to do it that you will see it's pointless. It accomplishes nothing in the first place, but you will begin to feel the pain of every attack thought. You already are beginning to feel, perhaps, the pain of every verbal betrayal. Every time that you say some critical thing, verbally, you voice it, you already are beginning to see, perhaps, that getting it out does nothing about what's still inside. Yes, it's now out. It's in two places now. (laughs) Because now there are all these other people buzzing about it. And it has not touched one thing within you. And so, of course, we must learn that it is not necessary to ventilate it and pollute everything around us. That's just so basic. This doesn't mean that we don't beat pillows or go scream into the wind or... Go for a run or anything else, if that helps us deal with it within ourselves. But to deal with it while it's still within ourselves is so much simpler. Once we begin spreading this around, dumping it on other people, then we've got a big mess out there that we think is out of our control, it's out of our hands. And so we wish to, of course, deal with it simply within ourselves. But for many of you, you're at this stage. They deserve it, and you say it, and you feel justified. There's a feeling of righteousness. There's perhaps even a little bodily numbness after a rage, after ranting. And for just a second, it seems as if you have accomplished something, that it is less within you, because before it was tormenting you, and now you're just numb. But notice it goes nowhere. You see it again. You still believe it's true. Of course, it's still there. We're hoping that our criticisms will magically detach themselves from us and glue on someone else. This is what we think in a conversation. We will voice some criticism and this little criticism will just go and it'll stick like some goo over the person. And... As people think less of others, they will think more of us. That's what we believe. And the more we can get people to think less of others, the higher we will be raised in their own estimate. This is the ego's insanity. And we apply it to ourselves. This is why we keep the grievance. This is why we rehearse the things that people have done over and over and over again. Because we think the same thing applies. That our self-worth, our feeling of self-worth comes from thinking that other people are not as worthy. Because we believe that all we are is a comparison. We're just a comparison. And if this were true, then we should do this. But all criticism attacks the criticizer. And the next stage you will come to, and some of you have already come to it, is that when you criticize, as I did very lightly in the announcements last Sunday. I said something, and I thought at the time I was saying it was just a little joke, and it was little, and the criticism was very light. And I'll tell you what it was. They were passing the plate, and I said, I promise not to buy rhinestones. That's all I said. Now, why did I say that? The reason I said that was that there had been someone in town who had given a talk and he wore rhinestones to the talk. And this was being much talked about. And it made me sad for at least three days that I had said that. Because I know nothing of this man except that he is my brother. And it hurt me to have said that. Even though I knew only the people who attended the talk would even know what I was saying. And it seemed like it was perfectly all right to say it. And so that's what will happen. You will feel the pain immediately after you say it. It will do the work for you. You don't have to worry how this is all gonna come about. If you take a little step each day, it will come about. You don't have to worry about whether or not there is really one self. People confuse themselves for years arguing about these concepts. Whether the world is real. Whether we're responsible for everything. And no progress is made because there's an argument in the mind over and over and over again. It's all so silly. It doesn't make any difference. You can awaken without ever once telling yourself that the world is not real. Or that God is all. What does that mean? That God is all. How confusing a concept that could be. But if you practice simple gentleness and peace every day, you will walk home. And as you walk, you will come to different territories. And one of the territories, if you haven't come to yet, that you will come to is, you will feel the pain by the merest attack that you make. The merest one. And there will be no question about whether or not you are one with the person. You won't have to argue this. You won't even have to word it. You will feel it, that you cannot hurt someone without hurting yourself. And you can call this a common core or a deep bond between you and everyone else. Or you can simply say that we're all one family on this earth. What difference does it make how we word it? As long as love becomes the important thing. Oh, I know what we can do, John. Play your no, no, no. we'll have we'll end with this. Hughes Helpful Hands. But it's a segment. We have to introduce a segment. Time has come for Hughes Helpful Hands, everybody. How do you talk to your parents? How do you talk to your ex-spouse? How do you listen to your older child? How do you listen to your friend that you're estranged from? There's this sort of category of people out there. Do you get a sense of it? Parents, in-laws, the older child has left the home. Now what are they up to? Now what do they want? Father, so-and-so's on the phone. Now what does he want? See, it goes both ways. So, Hugh's helpful hints. Let's apply this principle to one thing. This category. You all have people like this. Maybe it's a boss. An older brother. I talked to a man last night on the phone whose older brother is still telling him what to do, although he's almost 60 years old. His older brother is still telling him what to do. So what do you do? You know people. If you Think for a second. You've got someone in your life like this, don't you? plays this role what do you do someone that you cannot separate yourself from because it would not be a happy thing for you to no longer have any contact with your parents or your child and you have to have contact with your ex-spouse because of the children or whatever the thing is so here's the situation this must continue it would not be peaceful for you to break it off and there are relationships like that it is not peaceful for us to turn against our children or parents or even certain very very old friends it's just not a peaceful thing to do and so the relationship does continue and so what do you do if you feel abandoned by your parents you can know this as a fact you have also abandoned them if you feel betrayed by your ex, you can be sure of this that in your own mind you definitely believe that you have betrayed them. And so the first thing, the first hint is assume that you are participating in the situation, but don't try to figure out how. Just say there is no blame to place, there is no balance. Away way here. I do not have to figure who is most at fault at fault here. All I have to do is to know the fact remind myself of the fact that even though I may not be aware of it I am participating in the difficulty between the two of us and I do not know how to figure out what that difficulty is I simply know that in some way I'm participating and it makes no difference how that's helpful hint number one Helpful hint number two, because these are all people who give you advice. That's what we're talking about. People who think that they know more than you. People who are assertive or aggressive or something. People who make you anxious. People who make you timid, perhaps. Or antsy. This kind of relationship. So what do you do about their advice? What do you do about their opinion? Helpful hint number two is we think... That we must either do it or turn against the person. And we believe that is the only two options that we have. We must either do what they're telling us, our parents, or whatever it is. Or we must turn against them. We must argue against them. We must show their reasoning to be faulty. But there is a third alternative, and it's the one you want. And it is the alternative that will make you happy. You accept their advice. But you don't necessarily do it. You receive their advice. You honor them because they are part of your family. Because they are part of your way home. Because the relationship is part of your way home. And so you honor it. And you accept it. And you receive it. And how do you do that? By seeing the gesture behind it. Whenever we see the urge in someone's heart, it will make us happy and we will not oppose that person in our mind. Why do your parents tell you to uh, always lock the door when you drive down such and such a street or whatever the thing may be? Or why does your child tell you, you ought to read such and such a book, Ma? It'd do a lot for you. (laughs) What is the gesture? Haven't they found happiness? Haven't they found something that they think is valuable and they're wishing to give it? Of course there's ego involvement. Of course there are other things going on there. And so you receive it, but you don't necessarily do it. You receive it. You receive it out of honor of the person. Helpful hint number three. You let the person who makes you this way, anxious and so forth, Lead the conversation. It's like a dance. And you agree for this person to lead. Because oftentimes these tickless situations, these anxious situations, are because there is a little battle going on, a little struggle. And never does there need to be a struggle. So what do you do? Let their opinions, their interests... Dominate the conversation. Let them tell you about whatever whatever it is they want to tell you about. And concentrate on being their friend. Be their absolute friend and you will not feel anxious. Only when you think you have to oppose something or defend yourself against something or compare everything that their ego thinks to what your ego thinks will you feel this way. So it's a dance. Let them lead. They're giving you advice. Accept it. Be their friend. So how shall we end? There is no struggle, there is no fight, there is nothing to oppose, there is nothing to do because the truth is true. Be in no war against your ego, wage no battle against any thought in your mind, oppose no emotion that you feel, let it lie there. Let the dog lie. Bless it and walk home to God. Walk home to your father. Let your ego be stirred up. Let the insanity rail. Let your body feel anxious. Let your mind feel depressed. Bless it and walk home to your father. This is the key to being happy in the world. To wage no war against it. To attempt to make no change within it. To help all you can in peace. To do all you can in love. But to use every opportunity as a reminder that there is only one thing that you wish. And that I wish and that everyone else wishes. And that is to know our home, to know the hush and the peace of heaven, to know the rapture of no longer condemning, no longer judging, to know the completeness of total acceptance, to know the freedom. Of no worry, no anxiety, no conflict. So let's do this together this week. Let's practice simple gentleness and peace. Let's return again and again to there is nothing for me to do except walk home. I don't need to pause and fight this battle. I don't need to pause and condemn this person. Let me walk home. Yes, this has just arisen. Yes, this has just happened. Will it delay me? Or will I bless it and walk on? The answer is, I want to get home. And I will get home today.